Hello and welcome to The Why Podcast, a new series from Think London Business School in which faculty talk about their research and what it means for you and your business. I'm your host, Cathy Bruce, and for this episode, my guest is Dana Kanz, Assistant Professor of Organisational Behaviour at London Business School. Dana's an economist by background and a former investment banker, strategic consultant and entrepreneur. She's also trained as an organisational behaviourist. In her academic research at LBS, she uses behavioural insights to cast new light on judgment, decision-making, ethics and entrepreneurship, and she teaches on how to lead teams in organisations. Today, she's going to talk us through her research paper, The Motivation of Mission Statements, How Regulatory Mode Influences Workplace Discrimination, which she wrote with Mark Conley, an assistant professor at Stockholm School of Economics, and Tori Higgins, Stanley Schachter Professor of Psychology at Columbia University and Professor of Business at Columbia Business School. Dana, hi, welcome. Now, for this research, you looked at the language used in the mission statements of certain franchises using something called regulatory mode theory. I'll ask you to explain what regulatory mode is in a minute. But first, tell me, what made you want to carry out this piece of research? Great question. So my colleagues and I were following the coverage of workplace discrimination cases that were unfortunately unfolding at all of these fast growing companies over the few years that preceded the onset of our research. And in doing so, we kept noticing something that was interesting, and that was the fact that journalists kept mentioning different versions of the phrase, act first, ask questions later and suggested that this attitude may have companies rushing in to make decisions without stopping to consider their consequences. And so what those journalists did not realize, likely, was that they were inadvertently referencing this psychological theory of goal pursuit known as regulatory mode. And so we, as researchers of this theory, professors Mark Conley and Tori Higgins and I, recognized that their references were emblematic of this mode of pursuing goals that in some way prioritizes urgent action, which is known as something called locomotion mode, over thoughtful consideration, which is known as something called assessment mode. And I'll get into that in a couple of minutes. But this realization served as the basis for that published peer-reviewed research. And so those induced into locomotion tend to be concerned with realizing change by managing this quick and uninterrupted movement. And those individuals induced into assessment tend to be concerned with critically evaluating and comparing options in an effort to make the quote-unquote right choice. Why did you look at franchises in particular? So we were going through the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission archives, so the EEOC archives, and while we were doing that, we noticed that time and again, franchises kept popping up in this archival newsroom that we were going through, and they were involved time and again in incidents of workplace discrimination. And so that actually makes sense since they're human capital intensive businesses that employ a large percentage of hourly paid workers, some of whom are living at that poverty line. And so these are the very people most susceptible to and affected by workplace discrimination. So we wanted to focus our efforts in this high impact setting. And at the same time, franchises are actually these fast growing entities 
that also happen to have consistent rules in place that they're supposed to abide by, including those governing ethical standards that they're meant to uphold across all of their many locations. And so these large nationwide organizations have a significant labor market impact where they employ a sizable amount of the workers in the U.S. labor force. They're also subject to these influences that we wanted to explore. So your paper starts with an example, a man called Casey Crothers, who was basically fired from 7-Eleven after asking for a temporary transfer to a different position because of a disability. And what's interesting is that 7-Eleven has a code of ethics, which includes non-discrimination standards. And you say in your paper that 90% of companies in the States have policies against discrimination. So in theory, everyone should be being treated equally. But then these cases do still happen. And that's obviously bad for the organisations, not just if they get sued for compensation, but also in terms of their reputation and low morale and high staff turnover. So your study is looking at mission statements. The point of mission statements is they tell employees this is what the common goal is and this is how we expect you to get there. So tell me more about this regulatory mode theory and, and why that's so useful here. Sure. So as I was saying before, we're researchers of regulatory mode theory, and so we recognize that the references that we had been seeing in those press releases were emblematic of this mode of pursuing goals that prioritized urgent action, which is otherwise known as locomotion mode, over this mode of prioritizing thoughtful consideration, which was known as assessment mode. And so those induced into locomotion as I said earlier, are concerned with realizing change by managing this quick and uninterrupted movement, as opposed to being in assessment mode, where you're more concerned with critically evaluating and comparing options to make that right choice. And so to pick up where I left off there, we wondered if an organization's mode of pursuing goals might influence employee engagement in these workplace discrimination violations that you just mentioned uh, that were highlighted in the paper's introduction. And so our hunch was that this connection could, in fact, help explain why these ethical transgressions continue to persist across these seemingly progressive, fast-growing organizations that had already adopted these ethical codes of conduct meant to prevent workplace discrimination. And so we knew from years of the behavioral science research that we can enhance our likelihood to behave more ethically when we increase our attention to ethical standards like non-discrimination policies. But the question remained in the academic literature as to what else organizations can do to increase their employees' attention to those policies and standards that they already have in place. And so what we reasoned was that due to their concerns for controlling urgent action, those locomotors are unlikely to take the time to seek out that requisite information and expend all the effort needed to attend to ethical standards. But in light of their concerns for finding the truth of a given matter at hand, we anticipated that assessors were instead likely to dedicate that time and effort required to fully consider those ethical standards and consequently engage in less discriminatory behavior. So those were our predictions. So basically, if the focus is on getting the job done and getting it done quickly in that mode, people are more likely to ignore the ethical standards. And even if it's there in the mission statement, it doesn't make enough difference. 
So how did you go about testing it? Tell me about the archival data study first. We first wondered how we can actually observe these varying levels of goal pursuit in organizations. And it turns out that these um, mission statements that companies tend to have represent this handy written manifestation of the phenomenon that we're looking to get at because these statements are designed to guide employees on how to pursue their organizational goals. And so in order to analyze them, my co-authors and I first went about constructing and validating a dictionary of locomotion and assessment terms with the help of the 11 um, foremost researchers in the world on this topic. And so we leveraged this dictionary to perform an analysis of mission statements of non-discriminating companies versus ones that appeared in the U.S. Employment Discrimination Archives that I just mentioned over the past decade for over 550 of them in total. And so what we found in this archival analysis is that the motivational language of the violators' mission statements was in fact distinct from that of non-violators, where the discriminating companies had mission statements with significantly higher levels of locomotion terms and then significantly lower levels of assessment terms than those that didn't discriminate. And so notably, the non-discriminating companies had mission statements that were essentially neutral in terms of the predominant regulatory mode. So in other words, the locomotion minus assessment levels in those mission statements, which suggested to us that the locomotion and assessment levels can act as these really interesting countervailing forces that can serve to limit an organization's discrimination exposure. And so the way that we can think about it is that we're violating organizations are motivating employees to just do it, the non-violators motivated their employees to do the right thing. And you also incorporated some information on these various companies from Entrepreneur magazine. So you went beyond looking at the mission statements, you were also looking at other really rich information about these different franchises as well. Yeah, so in terms of what we looked at, we had a number of different control variables in our models. Um, For instance, we controlled for the franchise's age in terms of the number of years since founding, the franchise workers in terms of their employee count, um, the franchise units in terms of number of locations and so on and so forth. We recognize that industry type could have this impact on discrimination activity and we coded the franchises for those industry classifications. So we we definitely did um, do a very in-depth analysis in terms of the robustness of our models. Um, we also coded for CEO gender. So definitely would agree with you that we had a lot of really terrific clean data at our disposal, fortunately. And then the second thing you did was a controlled experiment where you got participants to, you gave them a mission statement or different kinds of mission statements, and then you put them in the position of being managers, having to take three HR decisions, all of which would enable them to sort of discriminate or not, basically, on the grounds of one was health, one was age, and one was pregnancy. How did you go about doing that? And what did you find out? Sure. So we we did, in fact, complement that archival study with this set of experiments that we conducted on over 700 participants in total so that we could determine whether there was, in fact, some sort of a causal link between the regulatory mode and the discriminatory behavior. And so participants in our studies were randomly assigned 
to act as a manager of an organization with a mission statement that was either high in locomotion or high in assessment. And then we also included uh, neither, which was this control condition. And then we subjected all of them to three different HR scenarios that were taken directly from the employment discrimination archives, which were so rich in terms of the detail of the information on those scenarios. So it was really, really nice to be able to leverage the archives in order to inform the design of these um, controlled experiments. And so we went ahead and asked the participants to make these managerial decisions where we knew from those same archives, the EEOC archives, um, we knew that one choice represented a direct violation of regulations based on those archives, while the other choice did not violate the regulations. And so what ended up happening is these experiments were able to reinforce our archival observations in this nice controlled environment that also allowed us to account for things like participants' familiarity with non-discrimination policies and other relevant factors. And so we confirmed that exposure to mission statements that are high in locomotion as opposed to assessment not only increased the odds of a would-be manager discriminating, but also caused a given participant to do so significantly more frequently as well. So looking at these findings, what are the takeaways from this for people running companies now in terms of when they're thinking about their own mission statements? Obviously, language makes an enormous difference, and we, we know that. But this is very specific, like choosing particular words rather than others. So what would you recommend? Great question. So I would say that there's several key practical takeaways from this research. Um, So the first thing I want to mention is that the combined results indicate that this implicit motivational messaging of mission statements can, in fact, overpower this influence of explicit non-discrimination policies that your company might have in place. So it's really good to know that we are subject to these um, implicit uh, messages. And so our studies point to the fact that these ethical standards can't simply live alongside your organization, but must instead be woven into the very fabric of how your organization does business on a day-to-day basis guiding your employees when they're making those day in and day out decisions. And so we know that the longer an organization is in business and the more people that it employs, and that's why we did control for those measures, the more chances for that organization to get involved in one or more cases of workplace discrimination. And so our findings point to this really great opportunity for organizations to not only grow, but to instead grow conscientiously where they can start thinking about offsetting their high locomotion messaging with higher assessment verbiage if they do, in fact, feel as though they're vulnerable to this. So uh, I just thought I'd uh, read from a couple of the mission statements in your Appendix B, um, because it's quite fun comparing the language and just to give listeners a sort of feel for it. So the locomotion one starts by saying, at Fast Speed Inc., we are doers in a hurry to become the market leader in our field. This means delivering results as quickly as possible. Our franchise has a ton of momentum and we've eliminated any obstacle that's come our way in order to move smoothly, etc. And I think we all know companies like that. And then the assessment one, at Thoughtful Care Inc., we are thinkers who consider ourselves to be the most thorough provider in our field. This means evaluating every possible alternative for our customers. Our franchise is perfecting this process by taking a consultative approach. Even as I'm reading it, I'm sort of sounding calmer and less hurried. Uh, So, yeah, I wondered if you could give listeners some tips on how to craft better mission statements. 
I mean, obviously, the mission statement does have to be a sort of genuine reflection of what the people you know want the company to be like. And as you say, it has to be sort of backed up by how the managers behave and act and, and, and all of that. But assuming that this is, you know, basically a good company with decent people trying to do well, but what else can they do to sort of encourage this good behavior that they say they want? Yeah, and I I do agree. I think that the that the assessment mission statement definitely gives quite a calming effect. Um, so what I would say is organizations can use this information to diagnose their vulnerabilities in their corporate culture by running their mission statements and any other motivational language that they tend to use. I mean, that language can be something that they use for recruiting, for instance, right? Through the dictionary that we make available in our published paper. And so if we think about organizational goal pursuit contributing to ethical misconduct, then this mission statement revision, I think, represents a low effort and high impact step to help protect not only your individual employees, but also to reduce your organizational liability without necessarily sacrificing references to high performance that have previously been found to encourage unethical behavior. So what we're saying is utilize this regulatory mode dictionary to revisit and optimize the mission statement language where you can temper locomotion with higher assessment as needed. And so this dictionary-assisted mission statement analysis could, in fact, act as a way to diagnose the issue and facilitate this meaningful cultural change in your organization if, if you do, in fact, diagnose a need for this. Yeah, it's really interesting because so many companies come up with these mission statements that sort of sound very impressive. And then sometimes they're put together by agencies and other people who who aren't even necessarily very close to the outcome in terms of what impact they're going to make on the people working for them. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, the more that you can thread this language through the day-to-day life of your employees and what decisions that they're faced with every day, the better it will be for you as a company to achieve the company's goals, but also for them as individuals to achieve their own goals and reduce liability overall. And Diana, I was curious because I know obviously you were an entrepreneur yourself in the past, whether this research has made you look back at your own mission statements and consider what you said. Yeah, I, you know, I think that this is so incredibly relevant for the world of startups at large. And um, I definitely have woven in this information into an HBR article that we co-authored after publishing this work in the peer review journal. And we talk about companies like Uber. We've also looked at and detected high degrees of locomotion over assessment in companies like WeWork and so on and so forth that have been exposed to vulnerabilities in workplace discrimination. So it's it's definitely very tangible information for uh, the startup community, I would say. Mm-hmm. And something which you've um, obviously have experience of yourself. So you've got a particularly good insight into how these places work. I think so. I do. I mean, I've seen this grow at all costs attitude permeate that world. And I think you know, if we're able to take some of the good with it and reduce some of the bad, then that would that would be great for everyone, as you said. Great. Well, thanks, Donna. It's been so interesting hearing about your research. 
And it's really making me think more about language and how we use it. I'm going to be thinking about this when I look at anything to do with mission statements from now on and also thinking about language more generally as well. Thank you for having me. So there we have it. If you want your employees to make good, sound decisions as they go about their day-to-day responsibilities, watch your language in your mission statements and think really carefully about what messages you're conveying to them. Because if they think all you care about is selling stuff quickly, they're more likely to discriminate at the end of the day. The Why podcast is brought to you by the editorial team at Think at London Business School. Follow us here for more episodes on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. And for more faculty research insights, go to london.edu forward slash think. You can also sign up there for our free regular email newsletter to get tips, tools and news of our alumni direct to your inbox. And finally, don't forget to give us a review or rating. That helps new listeners find us. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.